Nine years ago, Pyotr Sergeyevich, the deputy prosecutor, and I were riding towards evening in high-making time to fetch the letters from the station. The weather was magnificent, but on our way back we heard a peal of thunder and saw an angry black storm cloud which was coming straight toward us. The storm cloud was approaching us and we were approaching it. Against the background of it our house and church looked white and the tall poplars shone like silver. There was a scent of rain at Mount High. My companion was in high spirits. He kept laughing and talking all sorts of nonsense. He said it would be nice if we could suddenly come upon a medieval castle with turreted towers, with moss on it, and owls, in which we could take shelter from the rain and in the end be killed by a thunderbolt. Then the first wave raced through the rye and a field of oats. There was a gust of wind and the dust flew round and round in the air. Pyotr Sergeyevich laughed and spurred down his horse. It's fine, he cried. It is splendid. Infected by his gaiety, I too began laughing at the thought that in a minute I should be drenched to the skin and might be struck by lightning. Riding swiftly in a hurricane, when one is breathless with the wind and feels like a bird, thrills one and puts one's heart in flutter. By the time we rode into our courtyard, the wind had gone down and big drops of rain were pattering on the grass and on the roofs. There was not a soul near the stable. Pyotr Sergeyevich himself took the bridles off and led the horses to the stalls. I stood in the doorway, waiting for him to finish and watching the slanting streaks of rain. The Swedish exciting scent of hay was even stronger here than in the fields. Storm cloud and rain made it almost twilight. What a crush, said Pyotr Sergeyevich, coming up to me after a very roaring peal of thunder when it seemed as though the sky was split in two. What do you say to that? He stood beside me in the doorway and, still breathless from his rapid ride, looked at me. I could see that he was admiring me. Natalia Vladimirovna, he said, I would give you anything only to stay here a little longer and look at you. You are lovely today. His eyes looked at me with delight and supplication, his face was pale, and his beard and moustaches were glittering raindrops, and they too seemed to be looking at me with love. I love you, he said, I love you, and I'm happy at seeing you. I know you cannot be my wife, but I want nothing, I ask nothing, only know that I love you. Be silent, do not answer me, take no notice of it, but only know that you are dear to me and let me look at you. His rupture affected me too. I looked at his enthusiastic face, listened to his voice which mingled with the patter of the rain and stood as though spellbound, unable to stir. I longed to go on endlessly looking at his shining eyes and listening. You say nothing and that is splendid, said Pyotr Sergeyevich. Go on being silent. I felt happy. I laughed with delight and ran through the drenching rain to the horse. He laughed too and, leaping as he went, ran after me. Both drenched, panting, noisily clattering up the stairs like children, we dashed into the room. My father and brother, who were not used to seeing me laughing and light-hearted, looked at me in surprise and began laughing too. The storm clouds had passed over and the thunder had ceased, but the raindrops still glittered on Pyotr Sergeyevich's beard. The whole evening, till supper time, he was singing whistling, playing noisily with the dog and racing about the room after it, so that he nearly upset the servant with the samovar. And at supper he ate a great deal, 
talked nonsense and maintained that when one eats fresh cucumbers in winter there is a fragrance of spring in one's mouth. When I went to bed I lighted a candle and threw my window wide open and an undefined feeling took possession of my soul. I remembered that I was free and healthy and I had rank and wealth that I was beloved above all that I had rank and wealth. Rank and wealth, my God. How nice was that. Then, huddling up in bed at a touch of cold which reached me from the garden with the dew, I tried to discover whether I loved Peter Sergeyevich or not and fell asleep unable to reach any conclusion. And when in the morning I saw quivering patches of sunlight and the shadows of the lime trees on my bed. What had happened yesterday was vividly in my memory. Life seemed to me rich, buried, full of charm. Humming, I dressed quickly and went out into the garden. And what happened afterwards? Why nothing. In the winter, when we lived in town, Pyotr Sergeyevich came to see us from time to time. Country acquaintances are charming only in the country and in summer in the town and in winter they lose their charm. When you pour out tea for them in the town it seems as though they are wearing other people's coats and as though they stirred their tea too long. In the town too, Piotr Sergeyevich spoke sometimes of love but the effect was not at all the same as in the country. In the town we were more vividly conscious of the wall that stood between us. I had rank and wealth while he was poor and he was not even a nobleman but only the son of a deacon and the deputy public prosecutor. We, both of us, I through my youth and he for some unknown reason, thought of that wall as very high and thick, and when he was with us in the town he would criticize aristocratic society with a forced smile and maintain a sullen silence when there was anything else in the drawing room. There is no wall that cannot be broken through, but the heroes of the modern romance, so far as I know them, are too timid, spiritless, lazy, and oversensitive and are too ready to resign themselves to the thought that they are doomed to failure, that personal life has disappointed them. Instead of struggling they merely criticize, calling the world vulgar and forgetting that their criticism passes little by little into vulgarity. I was laughed, happiness was not far away and seemed to be almost touching me. I went on living in careless ease without trying to understand myself, not knowing what I expected or what I wanted from life and time went on and on. People passed by me with their laugh, bright eyes and warm nights flushed by, nightingale sang, hay smelled fragrant, and all this sweet and overwhelming in remembrance passed with me as with everyone rapidly, leaving no trace, was not prized and vanished like mist. Where is it all? My father is dead, I have grown older, everything that delighted me, caressed me, gave me hope. The patter of the rain, the rolling of the thunder, thoughts of happiness, talk of love, all that has become nothing but a memory, and I see before me a flat desert distance, on the plain not one living soul, and out there on the horizon is dark and terrible. I ring at the bell. It is Pyotr Sergeyevich. When in the winter I see the trees and remember how green they were for me, in the summer I whisper, oh my darlings. And when I see people with whom I spent my springtime, I feel sorrowful and warm and whisper the same thing. He has long ago by my father's good offices been transferred to town. He looks like older, little fallen away. He has long given up declaring his love, has left off talking nonsense, dislikes his official work, 
is still in some way and disillusioned. He has given up trying to get anything out of life and takes no interest in living. Now he has sat down by the hearth and looks in silence at the fire. Not knowing what to say, I ask him, Well, what have you to tell me? Nothing, he answers, and silence again. The red glow of the fireplace about his melancholy face. I thought of the fastens. All at once my shoulders began quivering, my head dropped, and I began weeping bitterly. I felt unbearably sorry for myself and for this man, and passionately longed for what had passed away and what life refused us now. And now I didn't think about rank and wealth. I broke into loud sobs, pressing my temples, and muttered, My God, my God, my life is wasted. And he sat and was silent and didn't say to me, Don't weep. He understood that I must weep, that the time for this had come. I saw from his eyes that he was sorry for me, and I was sorry for him, too, and vexed with his timid, unsuccessful man who could not make life for me, nor for himself. When I saw into the door he was, I fancied, purposely along while putting on his coat. Twice he kissed my hand without a word and looked a long while into my tear-stained face. I believe that moment he recalled the storm, the streaks of rain, or laughter my face that day. He longed to say something to me, and he would have been glad to say it, but he said nothing. He merely shook his head and pressed my hand. God help him. After seeing him out, I went back to my study and again sat on the carpet before the fireplace. The red embers were covered with ash and began to grow dim. Frost tapped still more angrily at the windows, and the wind droned in the chimney. The maid came in and, thinking I was asleep, called my name.